1: Hi, campers. Welcome to this week's episode of Camp Adulthood. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats.
0: And I am the resident youth, Maddie Yerge. And we are joined by an esteemed guest,
1: Leah F. Sherman.
2: Hello, I'm Leah F. Sherman.
1: Leah, can you give us a, we'll dig in more later, but give us a quick intro. Who are you? Where are you from? And how do you know us bozos?
2: <laughs> the TLDR um yep. I am from the metro Detroit area Maddie and I went to middle school together and then we went to separate high schools but then oh, after that happened sad. yeah well it's funny because after that happened and we went to separate schools we were like we should be best friends and that was 10 years ago ladies and gentlemen Aww, some sweet. said it would never last but it did just kidding but no it one said it would not last So we were pals all through high school, best pals, and then I moved to Chicago for college, and then it was super chilly, so now I live in Atlanta, and I am a Georgia peach, which lately I've been having a lot of existential crises about, because that's, yeah, I'm Southern now, and I... Yeah, right? I say y'all. It's crazy. Bless your heart. Yes, I say y'all. No, it's great. It's the best. Add it to your vocabulary. It makes so much more sense. In the
1: Midwest, we say you guys. Um, Yeah, well, how about this? I'm from Pittsburgh. People say yins. I don't like that. going to the Steelers game on Saturday. (laughs) Oh, God. I've just
2: decided that's not real. So, yes, I am a Georgia peach now. I'm here, or I'm there. Now I'm in New York. It's great. Everything's great. Yay.
0: Yay. Well, Shay, you seem like you have so many notes. Do you want to
1: dive in with your millennial moment? It's been a minute since we've uh, recorded. So, uh, my millennial moment. And it's, I would categorize this one um, as a uh, trash bag moment. Yes, our favorite Um, of all the moments. uh, (laughs) Yeah. So, basically, today, I, so, um, As our listeners know, I'm currently uh, staying at my cousin's house, and it's awesome, but I don't have any place to put my clothes away, so my clothes are just all over the floor in a big, (laughs) messy pile, which is fine. I'm dealing with it, Um, but basically, that means I wear, like, the same three outfits, and because I lived in New York for seven years, all of my clothes are black, so it's, like, super annoying to find new outfits. Um and then like all of my jeans got holes in them, so I'm down to like one pair of jeans and not like cute holes like, you know, crotch holes. So <laughs> I <laughs> I'm trying every day to like find clothes. So like today I just, you know, gave up and I was like, what can <laughs> I grab that is somewhat appropriate to wear to work? So I grabbed this wonderful black jumpsuit that Maddie and I have the same one of. Oh yes, from um, Urban Outfitters. Now, Is there a picture a of
2: both of you wearing it side by side? Sadly, no. I don't think so. Make it but happen.
1: We <laughs> Sadly, Maddie looks way hotter than I do, so we're not doing that.
2: You're a hot mama. Uh,
1: thank you. Uh, so I was like, but it's great because it like you can really dress it up and you look really fancy, but you're kind of like wearing pajamas. So I put that on, and then I was like, how can I make this even more pajama-like? So then I put on this like long gray cardigan sweater that like goes practically to my knees um, much like the sweater robes of the 90s except I it I doesn't have a belt Um, my brother got it for me for Christmas but it's very soft and then I wore this sweater I'm showing the girls listeners it's not a sweater scarf Um, it's my favorite scarf my friend Liz bought it for me from Spain and thus attired I went to put my shoes on now I could have put on any number of nice shoes but i put on my black sneakers which at one point looked good but now they look like trash because <laughs> i've worn them to the beach and hiking and like all over but i was like i don't give a fuck and it's raining so i put that on and then i put a long raincoat on so <laughs> i now look like a homeless person and that's a detired. lot of layers a lot of layers i wander off to the office um so <laughs> it's all fine and dandy until i decide that I have to go to the bathroom. And then I realize I've picked the literal worst outfit because I've got to take the scarf off. I've got to take the sweater off. And they're both long and drapey, so I have to make sure they don't get on the floor. And then it's the whole (laughs) issue of taking off a jumpsuit and making sure that your jumpsuit doesn't get on the dirty bathroom floor, even though the bathrooms are very clean here at the WeWork. Um, (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Yeah, shout out. Hashtag, Uh, you take all my money. Um, So... It was just really one of those days where I'm like, I just wanted to be comfortable and look somewhat cute. But I ended up looking like a homeless person with dirty shoes. Oh, and I had to park really far away. So and on my walk to the office, I like already had two bags. And then I like went to Whole Foods. So I got another bag and I was just like, now I really look like a bag person. Um, (laughs) So not only did I end up looking ridiculous and not cute, I also had a whole was a whole thing every time I had to go to the bathroom. So that's my millennial That is
0: a trash bag moment,
1: and I love it. Amazing.
2: Um, I admire the fact that you will not let anything touch the bathroom floor, because mm -hmm. I have totally been in situations where I had to change in a bathroom stall, and I was like, I guess this is just how it is now. Like, all my stuff's on the bathroom floor, it's fine.
1: Well, I've definitely been there as well, but I kind of feel like, again, because my clothing situation is kind of limited right now, and most of my clothes are still packed up in suitcases... I can't afford to, like, have to do my laundry or worry about it, so I just was trying to be careful, since everything I was wearing was relatively clean today.
2: You were being practical.
1: I was. I was trying to be. Practical, so.
2: dare I say. Practical. <laughs> practical, can you not? Just kidding. <laughs> <Nope. laughs> love it.
0: We're, um, we're very punny. My millennial <laughs> moment, this ties into a conversation Leah and I were having. It's kind of... I'm. I'm actually... When we get to the campfire topics, not to get too off base, but when we get to the campfire yeah. topics, we can skip me because this is kind of a half millennial moment, half campfire topic. Oh, my fave. But um, the Facebook drama that's been going around recently, the Zuck has been at Congress. Oh, yeah. Have we been following? He looks like not a real human person. Because he's not.
1: <laughs> he's a robot. And apparently he sat on a special cushion yes, to make I him saw that. sit up
0: straight. And he's only 5'7". They didn't want him to make him look like a little person. Wait,
2: Zuckerberg's only 5'7"? Yeah. Whoa. Isn't that weird Yeah. think about? How tall is Jesse What's his fa- Eisenberg? That's the guy the that played him?
0: Yeah. I think he's taller than 5'7", but...
2: I'm going to Google it. It's my millennial moment, Leo will
0: Google how tall Jesse Eisenberg is. But anyways, I've been following this Facebook drama, and a few days ago, before Leah got here, I went down a rabbit hole of figuring out what data all of these oh, tech no. companies have on me. So I downloaded... And this is a thing you can do. You can Google it. Oh, Jesse Eisenberg is five seven. Wow, the internet the knows magic no of the movies. Delivered. I love it. Sorry. Um, interesting. So, this is a thing you can do. There's a lot of a lot of reporters for the New York Times have done it. It's like in light of the recent news about Facebook um, taking people's data without their knowledge and all sorts of other things. Um, you can download everything that facebook has collected about you and you can do this for any number of um tech things i don't even know what they're called like platforms media apps, yeah and you programs, can do like yeah. gmail so i recommend there's um an article by a guy with the last name of chen in the new york times and he did gmail facebook twitter linkedin instagram all of the above gmail is by far the most invasive like Absolutely. Gmail especially if you have an Android phone Google Ooh, can basically see anything that you've done on your Android phone basically at any time even if it has nothing like Google related so that's sidebar but I downloaded all of my advertisers on Twitter so that's every everything every company that's on Twitter that I am on their targeted ad list and mm-hmm. then Leah and I were sitting and she showed me What is it called? Do you see what groups you're on for Facebook advertisements?
2: Uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's in your preferences. We'll post how to do it. Your preferences and Facebook essentially builds a profile of you and what you Mm -hmm. like and what your life is about. And it targets Mm -hmm. ads for you based on that. And there's a way to access that list. Um, And some things are accurate. Some things are not. You have the ability to go through and delete it. But Maddie and I both had this experience as we both live away from home. Where mm-hmm. um, we have ads targeted toward us because we live away from home and our family is far away. Yeah. It Aww. also can predict what your political yeah. ideology I is. I wanted to talk about that, yeah. which we
0: were talking about, because Facebook has pinged, pinned me as very liberal. Which, oh. Which, like, the most, I guess on the sliding scale, that's, like, the most, like, very is, like, the most you could be. Which, like... Yeah. I am liberal in a lot of ways, but I wouldn't consider myself very liberal. But you had a friend. Yeah, I have about-
2: a friend who um, I went to college with her. I So my degree is in media and cinema studies, uh, all about collecting media and figuring out discourse and seeing what's going on. So I had a friend through that program uh, who posts a lot about social justice and marching and she is the kind of person who posts a lot of like paragraphs long Facebook posts and they're very well written you know it's like I don't mind it I'm like you do you boo boo like this is good I read them (laughs) I'm like that's good she's very liberal as a person she was pinned as just regular liberal by Facebook by Facebook yeah and so I kind of wondered especially because I know especially you Maddie you're not incredibly active on Facebook and when you do post, I don't.
0: It's not necessarily you like do political, politically yeah.
2: charged. So I'm wondering though if it has to do with your friends. Yeah. Because I have posted a political thing or two, but as a very liberal person living in the South. Yeah. How can you not? I live in John yeah. Lewis's district. That's my fun I fact.
1: Like fun fact. Well, I also think probably it's because of what you know maddie chooses to post so she might not post a two paragraph discourse on her feelings her conservative financial leanings right. but she's probably going to post a picture of herself like
0: um like when i went to the women's in march Hell's and kitchen like which
1: is a very gay neighborhood or yeah. at the pride parade or at the women's march or supporting you know artsy people so then that's going to flag her as more liberal than probably someone who goes in and actually spends time, like, you know, trying to write out long paragraphs of discourse.
2: Yeah, I totally didn't even think about it in terms of geography, in terms yeah. of, yeah. like, yeah, if, you, if you're hanging out in, like, a gay neighborhood a lot, for yeah. example, then they would assume that you're a very liberal yeah. person. I didn't think about that.
0: Yeah, so it's very interesting. I highly recommend people look at it, and, like you were saying, like, some of the things Facebook gets right, but it's the amount of information and it makes sense like why they have it like for example in this New York Times article they talked about how Facebook has a list of everyone you've ever defriended so of course actually yeah and the reason why they do it I don't defriend anyone but the the reason why they do it is because you know how Facebook does like the time hop things they don't want to accidentally send you like, a picture of you with an ex-boyfriend or a picture of you with, like, an estranged family member because that would be upsetting Mm -hmm. to you. So it's actually, like, would you rather Facebook have this list that, like, they're not really going to do anything for Uh other than save you from, like, having an uncomfortable experience on your Facebook friends list? So, like, there are some two sides to the same coin, but a lot of this stuff... I think the Gmail thing was the most upsetting because I don't have an Android, but this guy downloaded all of the stuff that Gmail has on him, like... Any, anything, any app you have on your phone that's an Android, any website you've ever visited, anything you've ever Googled on an Android, if you have a Gmail account, Gmail has it. Any email, obviously, you've ever sent, that's, like, an easy one. It's, they have a lot less information if you're on, if you use, like, private browsing or if you're on a non-Google device, um, and... Facebook was kind of in the middle, and then there's other social networks like LinkedIn and stuff that, like, don't really mine the data as much as these other Mm -hmm. programs, which was interesting. Like, they have the technology to do so, they just choose not to. Um, And this guy kind of went through, and he, he interviewed a lot of these social networks of why do you guys collect this data, and a lot of times, like, Facebook gave an answer that, like, okay, it makes sense, but at the end of the day, like, if you take it to, like, its sinister end, like if you had friended a criminal and then unfriended them like that's something that could be subpoenaed by Facebook that
1: you're not away from so it's interesting I mean I guess I just I, I don't care like they can have all there's nothing and I'm not saying I haven't like googled some weird things I definitely have especially as like you know a writer and someone who does research for this podcast for example and i read a lot of books and sometimes weird things come up so like i google weird stuff but like i don't care and i'm like so they subpoena me because someone i knew from my past is a criminal like i just don't totally yeah but so you're also I, in a place
0: a little alarmist you're also in a place though that and i'm in this place too where like If you take it using, like, the 60s analogy of, like, Mm. you know, like, you personally might not be in a place, and I agree, like, there's nothing on Facebook that, like, I wouldn't be comfortable with if the government saw it. But, like, if you're really involved in, like, a protest movement or, like, a movement Mm. that, like, the government doesn't like, like given what they did to, like, Martin Luther King and people like that in the 60s. Like, of course, if Facebook has all this information, the government's going to subpoena it and they're going to use it to suppress political speech.
2: So I watched a documentary on this when I was in college. Um, I took a social media marketing class. I believe it was called Terms and Conditions. There is a documentary called Terms and Conditions. I may be (laughs) confusing it with another documentary. However, they, they kind of talk about you know what, you agree to sign away when you create these accounts. And mm-hmm. one of the arguments they tackle in it is the I don't care, I don't have anything to hide argument. Yeah. And my memory's failing me. I wish I could tell you more about what they said. But I know one thing, especially like we all in this conversation are content creators. And yeah. Your in, your IP is in question, like your intellectual property, and it becomes mm-hmm. a question of, well, if you publish this on Google, like on YouTube, for example, yeah. which is owned by Google, then that content becomes property of Google and they can make yeah. money off of it and not share it with you. And I know that was something that really stuck out to me because I used to make YouTube videos. I would not Shut draw up. people to them. That was, like, a difficult time <laughs> in my life. Um,
0: I was going to say, do you want people
2: to watch no, them? No, I don't. Don't waste your time. I'm funnier now and yes. cuter. But that's, like, you know, the thing with social media is it it's, like, comes around in weird and,
1: I guess, insidious yeah. ways. And I guess I think that's the thing is, like, when I say I don't care, it's, It's less that because I have nothing to hide, and more because I think I'm pretty aware, and I don't know how. Honestly, I think it's because of Kappa, and as soon as like yeah, I was gonna say that's a good training ground. Never leave the internet, you know. So like, I've always kind of been aware. Like, whatever I do online, it now exists in the public sphere. But I think for people who really thought that that information was private, it is, yeah, you know, it is little mine. And it's kind of like the Gmail thing with like. I think people,
0: at least now, everyone should be aware, like, if you post something on Facebook, it's going to be there, but I think people were not aware that, like, if you're doing something on not even a Google web browser, if you're using Safari or something, and you're searching Mm -hmm. on a website, but you have a Gmail account on an Android phone, completely separate from Google, like, Google has that information. So I think that's the stuff that's, like, coming to light that I didn't know, so... I found that kind of interesting. Huh. Um, but yeah, I hear you, Shay. I think Kappa like, definitely taught me a lot about that.
2: So at the end of the documentary, Misrepresentation, throughout the oh, documentary... That's a great documentary.
0: Which I've is a seen phenomenal it.
2: documentary. They're, one of the uh, speakers they have throughout is... Uh, her name is Jennifer Posner. She... Has written a couple of books. Um, I'm reading Reality Bites back right now. She talks about reality TV and how it shapes.
0: Ooh, I need to, I love it's, reality TV. Yeah,
2: yeah. And she's in New York. She's she's active on Twitter. I like her a lot. But at the end of Misrepresentation, she makes a comment along the lines of, we need media literacy education the way that yes. we need math education. And especially as an individual who is so deep in debt with a media <laughs> studies degree like, mm-hmm. preaching to the choir, that is so important to know mm-hmm. what you put online, how it's shared, what goes out there, um, and the effect of it. Yeah. Even So before this happened, a couple of us were talking about, Maddie and I were talking about Columbine. I read a book about it over the summer, and the reason why, the reason why I became so fascinated by Columbine is mm-hmm. that it was the first mass shooting to happen in the 24-hour uh, news cycle, and there was yep. so much misinformation that was repeated over and over again because they had to fill time uh, and that was what they had that it just became accepted as fact. And there are things that even today we're coming up on 20 years after Columbine and there are still groups and individuals who believe like, yeah, it was the trench coat mafia. Well, that's not true. Um, Mm -hmm. Columbine by Dave Cullen is a phenomenal book. It's, I recommend it to anybody, especially now, especially now, like in the day, in the wake of the Parkland shooting i did a lot of thinking I, I did a lot of soul searching it's, it's heartbreaking that's great but i, I don't want to make this great
0: recommendation sure. yeah um Ooh,
2: we've talked a lot
1: about guns. so
0: anyways that's my millennial <laughs> moment is i now have all of these files on my computer of all of my social media data so maybe i'll post some of it because it's cool and i'll post Ooh, how yes, you guys please can do that's i right uh,
2: i noticed that super fashionable tinfoil hat you were wearing She's not wearing one.
0: Dude, I... Mm-hmm. But maybe. It's mainstream now. Whenever someone goes to Congress, it's like, you know. Yeah. Anyways, Leah, do you have a millennial moment? If you don't, it's okay. I like putting the guests on the spot, oh, man. but...
2: Um, I think my most recent millennial moment was... So today, listeners, is Thursday. I flew in to New York on Wednesday, and Tuesday night, I had a little bit of an existential crisis i was drinking some wine and i was thinking about my life it wasn't a bad thing it was the kind of existential crisis where i could not stop laughing because i kind of this this happens to me every couple of months but i live in atlanta now i live in georgia i'm southern i have a job i have an apartment i'm very involved in different communities and i'm getting to a point i've lived there for about a year and a half coming up on two years now. And it it's a place that really feels like home. And I guess crisis has such a negative connotation as a word, but sort of this existential realization of like, this is my life now and this is where I live. And I remember being super young and sort of planning my life and thinking about all of my aspirations. And like, I totally wanted to move to New York and I wanted to do the whole New York thing and be on Broadway. And then I had all of these... I guess, realizations along the way of like, well, I can't be on Broadway. I can't sing. I don't want to do that. That's not the lifestyle I want. I went to college in Chicago. I love Chicago. I miss it every day. I plan on moving back. Um, I miss Chicago.
0: I miss having a reason to go.
2: It's great. We can go. Um, But ultimately, I left because I didn't want to be somebody who spent my whole life in one place, Um, Mm -hmm. especially having graduated from college and having a lot of my friends move away. It would have felt super yeah. sad.
0: Who stays in the same city they went to college in? Well, like, Losers. Loser. No, I'm just kidding. Not, you know, and I don't want to make kidding. it sound
2: like I'm shade at you because you still have a huge community here. I'm just here kidding. And, like, that you know, is
0: true. I right? a lot of my friends stayed, so it is different. Right. But.
2: Like I had a great internship my senior year of college, but um, shortly after I left, it was announced that that office was being shut down because the company whomp, merged whomp. with another company. Right. So like, everything would have basically there would have been a hard stop. And then I feel like if I would have stayed, Chicago would have felt kind of stale. It would have been ruined for me. Like, I don't know who I would have lived with. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have gotten the kind of job where I could have afforded to live alone. Um, Moving to Atlanta was super attractive because I had lived there for a summer once before. I interned at Cartoon Network and that was awesome and I got to see the city and I have family about an hour away Uh, and then a couple of my friends from college moved to Knoxville and Jacksonville which are three and five hours away respectively and I wanted to have a car. Maybe that's a Detroit thing Um, but yeah I graduated from college. I had a car. I spent a week driving down and then I lived in the suburbs with my family for two months until I found a job and an apartment. And it's great, and I love it, and now I'm super involved in the improv community and the Jewish community, and I'm busy all the time, and it feels great. But yeah, Tuesday, I had this existential crisis of, like, Leah's Southern now. Like, what is this? Oh my This gosh. is not a thing that I ever would have pred- predicted for myself, and I love it, and it's great, but I guess life happens in funny ways, is my conclusion well, with that.
1: I think as someone who's so much older than you, I have to say two things. Like, first of all, I think what you're experiencing is, is super common when you kind of find that first grown up place. And I still remember, like, after I'd been in New York, probably for about the same amount of time, which is the place I've lived the longest outside of my hometown, like coming in from the airport and just like looking at the skyline and being like, oh, shit. I live here. Welcome to New York. New York. York.
2: Maddie hates that I love Welcome to New York.
1: Whatever. It's awesome. Oh, my God. Um, Thank you, Shay. You're welcome. I love Taylor Swift and all of her incarnations, although new album's not so great. Oh, my God. Um, Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I know. Sad. Uh, But, like, I remember driving in and just, like, usually you're so enamored by the skyline, right, and just, like, feeling like it was home, and that was, like, a big moment for me. But I think the thing that's really interesting and this is something that's fun looking at this kind of like divide in our generation is like watching you guys go through what I experienced and what I'm sure people older than me experienced and young and younger than me, younger than you will experience is that we now, maybe not older than us. Sorry. I'm now going on a weird tangent, Maddie. You may have to cut (laughs) some of this, but like, I think we don't go back to our hometowns. So there are more places we call home. um, And that's a really interesting process to know that you're here and it feels like home and you may end up staying in atlanta forever but you may do what i did and live someplace where you feel feels like home and that you couldn't imagine leaving and then all of a sudden be like ah, fuck this and like you end up on yeah. an entire different coast but you i think know? the best
0: oh. thing to and shay i don't know if you felt this way maybe a little bit but i feel like part of what you said about chicago if you had a lot of people that you knew and that were important to you that stayed that might have swayed your decision a little bit, maybe?
2: I mean, it's, it's weird. So I came back to Atlanta because I went down to an Atlanta because I got an internship that I couldn't refuse. And I remember when I applied to that internship, I was in Michigan. I was sitting on my parents' couch and I was on the Time Warner internship page. And I basically went down the list and... Clicked on anything that seemed even remotely relevant to my skill set. Uh, so I was applying for internships in Burbank and New York, and there were some in Detroit and Atlanta. That's like where CNN and there's a, a huge Turner um, campus there. They're two separate buildings. But I remember clicking on Atlanta because I was like, well, I have family who lives in Atlanta. I could just live with them if I got the internship. All the while, I was like, I'm not going to get any of these internships. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, I had the kind of job disillusionment where it's like, yeah, you apply for the job, but it doesn't happen. Um, And I ended up getting two offers, and I took the first one that came to me, which was with Cartoon Mm -hmm. Network. And as I got to the nitty-gritty of figuring out the logistics of living there, I realized my family is actually an hour (laughs) south, and I was going to need a car and so many other things popped up and i ended up subleasing an apartment from a georgia tech student i was living in the heart oh my of my god midtown. i remember
0: i had completely blocked that out of my yeah, memory yeah
2: i was living in the heart of midtown right off of piedmont park the turner campus that i was working at in atlanta was a half a mile away i walked to work every day um and i had a great experience i like dated this boy who now that i live in atlanta i'm like wow he lived he lived in Kennesaw, which like Metro Atlanta listeners, (laughs) Leah was living in Midtown dating a boy who lived in Kennesaw, and he drove to see me all the time, like, hashtag true love, except (laughs) he was totally seeing somebody else at the time, and I think they're living together now. I did not know this. We're gonna have to have a
0: conversation off mic. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. but... I don't know, I had such a great experience, and I loved the idea that, like, within a five-hour drive, or I guess eight-hour drive, there were so many cities I could see, and that was something I didn't have in Chicago. In Chicago, if you want to take a weekend trip, it's like, you could go to maybe St. Louis, like, all along the beach, like, up to Milwaukee, maybe. You could go to Detroit. But living in Atlanta, I love the idea that I can go to Jacksonville, or Knoxville, or Chattanooga, or Nashville, or memphis and they all have such different vibes and they're all i don't know i just love it and then hartsfield jackson like i can fly anywhere yeah that's a great airport connection and i mean mostly the cost of living is super cheap and i knew there yeah. was a certain lifestyle i wanted for myself and i have it
0: leah lives alone and her apartment is bomb and you're actually moving to a new apartment I'm that's even to more a newer, bomb, bigger apartment because
2: i leveled up in my professional life and took a new job oh, and took a pay raise it's you. great yeah and i love my job i it's the kind of job where I don't think my boss knows I'm in New York right now, mm-hmm. but I'm here. Even better.
1: Even I better. I'm so jealous. Today.
2: I like did some
1: work. I was twerking, mm-hmm.
2: working oh. and twerking,
1: if you would. <laughs> I love it. That's now, great. Now, what is your job? Sorry, are we derailing our...
0: I still want to do the campfire topics, but
1: okay,
2: we'll wrap Should up this I conversation. Answer. the, so the question? Yes.
1: So I am a
2: communications specialist at um, the U.S. Division of a Global hr and staffing company so yes i i'm gonna like avoid using company names because like i don't want to represent the company but i've worked there since the end of january i'm coming up on three months there and i love it um i in my friend group have always been the person who people are like i need to apply for a job can you look at my resume i've just always Mm -hmm. been interested in that and now, yeah. as part of my job, I get to write all sorts of resources for people who are looking for jobs. Like last Ooh. week in my last sprint. So we're an agile work environment, which I also Ooh. love. It's so great. Yes. Yeah,
0: Leah explained this to me. I didn't know what it. Was. Do you know what that means, Shay?
1: This is I the have new a hush, world. But explain it for our listeners.
2: Yeah. So an agile work environment. I might botch it for people who actually know it. It started in like more IT type fields, but basically all of our work. Happens in two-week sprints. Also, the way that the team is set up, people in the field who, like, so let's say at my last job, somebody would know me, and they'd say, Leah, I need a one-pager, make it happen. And then it was on me to, like, contact like the designer the copywriter to proof it and make it happen but now there's a product owner and somebody would go to the product owner and say hey i need a one pager and she'd say all right and she'd go to my scrum master and she'd say i need a one pager that's probably going to need a writer and a designer my scrum master would say all right and then she'd make a card for it she'd put it in our online system and then during our planning she'd say hey leah i need you to write this thing how long is it going to take you can you do it is that okay and i'd say yeah I'd put a size on it. We use the Fibonacci sequence to size our work, which I think is oh, delightful. That's nice. Um, yeah. Which also reminds me in college I had some friends who their Wi Fi password was the Fibonacci sequence up to I think it was like the first ten numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. Oh my god. Because I had cool friends in college. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Um but yeah. It's it's an agile work environment. We use the scrum. Format, which I don't know if that's proper terminology, but it's great. Everything is super organized. There's a ton of transparency. Everybody knows what I'm working on. I know what everybody else is working on. We have a meeting every two weeks where we say, like, how are you feeling about the team? Like, what can we do better? It's so great and so supportive. Um, And I'm working with subject matter that is really and truly interesting to me. A couple weeks ago, I wrote the copy for... A PowerPoint that was going to be used in a career expo with
1: oh, cool. potential
2: candidates. Yeah. And I wrote a couple of presentations. One of them was about how to sell yourself. So I wrote about building your personal brand. Uh, in another one, I wrote mm-hmm. about building your resume. And that's all stuff that's super interesting to me. And it's flexible. And I can work from home. And I get to meet all sorts of people. And I'm like, really and truly living my best life. Also, atlanta traffic is terrible this office mm. on a bad day is like 10 minutes away it's so great it's... i'm living Ew. my best life
0: that's awesome meanwhile today i got yelled at for a report that i did not complete
2: but then i bought you a <laughs> bottle of vodka it was so nice oh yeah, i'm sorry someone yelled at you
0: it's fine my job is shitty we all know this i don't want to bore our listeners
2: Followers and listeners, you can't see this, but I gave Maddie a reaffirming knee touch.
0: It was nice. Oh, I appreciated sweet. it. Oh, that that's great. Great millennial sweet. moment, Leah. Thank you. Shay, would you like to share your campfire topic?
1: Well, yes, I would. Now, for <laughs> usual, because I'm so prepared lately. So many notes. There's three items. Uh, the I love it. The first two I just want to bring attention to in case you two lovely people hadn't heard about these things. And then... The third thing is my actual campfire topic. I like it. So, lay it on first us. First is both of these items were brought to be, my attention by the magazine Bust. Uh, did you oh. know that they are doing a TV remake of the '90s classic *A League of Their Own*? With no, Abby Jacobson <gasps> is the showrunner from *Broad City*, and it's *Broad City*'s last season, which I also read that today. I was gonna so, shout that out. Yeah. Yeah, so this will be on Amazon, and I'm super excited about it. And then the next thing, which I'm even more excited about, is also going to be on television, is a new adult cartoon. (laughs) Side note, I hate adult cartoons, but I don't care because this one is going to be so awesome. Can you guess what it is?
2: I mean, Bojack Horseman already exists, and Rick and Morty, so I have no idea.
1: Okay, so it is called (laughs) Barry and Joe. What is and it about? Basically, it's about... <laughs> it's about Barry and Joe. <laughs> uh, Barack Obama. <gasps> and oh my god. I <laughs> was it? I be ice so this. <laughs> And I was so excited. Shay uh, loves Joe, are,
0: Biden. I love Joe Biden. The day that our 45th
1: president, whom they never name, apparently, in the series, is, uh, <laughs> okay, know who is born in. These two are taken to, like, a secret place. And then they are transported back in time into their younger bodies. Um, and they must uh, change history in order to save the world. Um, and they just came out with a theme song. And it's called Barry and Joe Romance gonna save the world and it's amazing and uh anyway so it's the guy who made this up his name is adam reed uh he actually funded it on kickstarter uh raised over a hundred thousand dollars and it's currently being why does our um, patreon not have a hundred thousand dollars so my excitement for this is beyond beyond and i love joe biden so much and i love barack obama and it's just gonna be awesome and i can't wait so, that was that. I just want to make sure everyone knew about those two exciting things.
2: Can I yeah. add, like, a total non-sequitur to that? So, yeah. I have a huge crush on Greg Kinnear. Oh, my God. I forgot it's about It's, like, this. such a real thing. Oh. And HBO had that HBO original film confirmation with... Mm-hmm.
0: It was about Anita Hill.
2: Yeah, about Anita Hill. With Kerry Washington. With Car- I was going to say, who plays Olivia Pope? Um, and Greg Kinnear plays, like, young Joe Biden, who's, like, having <laughs> some, like... Or, like, mouth issue, like, his teeth are bothering him, and it's, like, not a good look, but it's also, like, oh, Greg here is Joe Biden, yes.
1: God, <laughs> anyway, that's my story, thank you. That's amazing.
0: I have oh, not watched that. Right. I'll have to that's great. watch
1: that's that movie. Great. Okay, so now it's my actual good. campfire topic um, is an article from The Mirror, which is a UK newspaper that's kind of shady, but whatever. It's a little tabloidy. All well. of the newspapers...
0: The newspaper, what? the newspapers in England are akin to the TV in the U.S. It's like as if you yeah. flip them, mm-hmm. so it's like think about cable television. That's what all the newspapers in the U.K. are like. So yeah. all like
2: so the mirror is like E.
1: It's like TMZ. It's uh, less. You're TMS.
0: thinking of like the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is like E. The Mirror is more like a CNN or like an MSNBC, where well, it's like there is real stuff, I didn't but it's even also think it's
1: that good. Oh, okay. But that's my yeah okay so anyway um and this uh was wonderful article was brought to my attention by uh my boyfriend david shout out david <gasps> he got so, the boyfriend title i like it i know i know it's crazy times usually uh, i just so... say it to embarrass you i said usually i say
0: boyfriend to embarrass you
1: <laughs> i know now i just didn't say i like I'm it this this way and that way i love it uh, anyway so the headline is a third of millennials think the earth is flat mm. um um Yes. Mm-hmm. Dude, this is my
0: favorite topic okay. that's ever been brought up. I
1: wonder how
2: many people oh. are like, ha, ha oh. Earth is flat because it's a meme and all, or, or versus like, actually the Earth is flat. Yeah. Well, Shay, tell us. So
1: here's the thing. So it was a survey done by something called YouGov, uh, which I thought was kind of seemed sketch, but whatever. They asked um, about 8,100 U.S. adults. Um, and it skewed that the younger and more spiritual people did believe that the world is in fact flat. Um, And of the millennials surveyed, um, 33% of those millennials surveyed did uh, believe that the earth was flat. So, but that being said, 8,125 people is a very small sample size. So hence, I think that was a bit of an inflammatory uh, headline and it's not really true, but it's still terrifying. And then it made me want to bring up Maddie, I'm surprised we don't talk about this more often on the podcast because we love it so much. Um, people like the Duggars and these crazy evangelists who believe in things like creationism and all those I other craziness. I have craziest. many thoughts.
0: Um, yes, we should maybe next time we record, record at Palooza next week. Shout out. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. We can talk about the duggers because there's lots of news there. But in depth, so much news. I, so Corey and I are obsessed with the Flat Earthers. Corey the has what? turned the flat earthers. Those are the people that believe oh, flat that the earth... earthers. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Okay, I don't think that the earth is flat. I'm not an idiot.
2: No, you're educated.
0: Yes, but the I'm obsessed with the culture surrounding the flat earthers, and I have yeah. gone down many internet rabbit holes about this. And I think Tell us it's more Maddie. I think it's two things. I think a very small percentage of the people, such as the ones in the study that you said, who say that they think the earth is flat. I think there are a small minority of people within that group who like actually have they've justified it in their minds where they actually think the earth is flat I think the vast majority of the people who say they think the earth is flat are doing one of two things the first thing that they're doing is they're trolling all of us because they know that it's funny and because the flat earthers have created such a community Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like dweebs and losers out there who like don't have any friends who just want community and that goes back to the evangelism thing that you were saying like there's a way that these kind of like I don't want to call them crazy, because I don't think all religious people are crazy, and I don't think they got, right, the divers are crazy. An extremist. Yeah. Right, yeah. but I think that there's something to be said. A lot of people join religion because they need a community. I think there's something to be said for the flat earthers doing the same thing, and there's the same way, a lot of the reason why Donald Trump got elected. Like, there are predominantly men who think that trolling people on the internet or in real life is a fun activity. I mean, like, also Russia. Yeah. But, I mean, there is a community of people and they know that the dominant opinion is that the earth is round, but they still want, they want to be contrarian just to be contrarian. And like, be ridiculous so i I find it fascinating so i thank you shay for bringing it up yeah
2: i think for lack of a better word there's like a big culture of doing it for the vine which is to say like doing something (laughs) because it's funny and trendy and like i can speak to this experience myself today i walked by (laughs) the times square applebee's which
0: side note Corey and i ate there a mere week ago At the Times (laughs) Square Applebee's. Because they have $1 margaritas.
2: Dollaritas, baby. Dollaritas. But, like, the Times Square Applebee's is a meme. Like, there has been a whole Ask Reddit thread that's, like, people who've eaten at the Times Square Applebee's, why? It's a total meme. Because it's great. Which is just, like, I've studied memes in college. Memes are not just image macros. It's, like, an idea that is spread rapidly throughout a group of people, right? And so I took a picture of the Applebee's. And I originally sent it to Maddie because yeah. you were having a rough day at work. And I was like, well, this is my view right now. But then some of my other pals who are still, who are in Atlanta, I sent this to them and I was like, ha I'm here right now because it was funny. I never mm-hmm. went into the Applebee's. That picture is the closest I got. And I was like a block away across the street. But I told the story as though I was there because like, haha, doing it for the vine, yeah. like for the bit, for the joke. Mm -hmm. and i think within flat earthers there is a bit of like especially to say a third of people believe the earth is flat there is a bit of Mm -hmm. like this is a meme this is a funny joke i'm gonna say yes because it's gonna get a laugh and also that's what everybody else is doing and i i I don't know i don't want to like go so far as to say like millennials all want to feel accepted and that's why we all said yes but I mean,
0: everyone feels that way. That's not just a millennial thing.
2: Well, and especially when there's so much information coming your way all the time. It's like... You want to be able to find
0: a community of people.
2: Yeah. Or, even like, like, be in on the joke. Yeah, even it's, being in on the joke. I think that's the big thing. Nobody wants to be left out on the joke. So, yeah, mm. like, ha ha, Earth is flat. But, like...
0: And also, people lie to like, pollsters all the time. That is a real thing.
2: It's true.
1: People
0: do what? People lie to pollsters. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So, Leah... After that uh, tasty campfire of some flat earthers, do you have a campfire topic for us? If you don't, we'll just dive into the interview. But if you have anything from the news or anything millennial related that doesn't necessarily pertain to your life that you want to discuss,
2: yeah, you know, there's nothing I can think of right off the bat. Great, that I think Warren. Well, then we'll
0: start grilling you. Grill Tough mate. questions. Just um, do it.
2: Chicken fried.
0: So. South the first thing that I wanted to ask you about so we've had you I'll just give your short bio and you can tell me yeah. how much of this is accurate so you were in the Atlanta Improv Festival mm-hmm. last week shout out true and way to go Leah yeah thank you they were in the semifinals.
1: Right? It's true. We took yes. fifth
2: place. Oh, we tied for fifth place overall out of twenty-seven teams. Yeah.
1: Wow, um, that's pretty good.
2: Yes, this was and the, those shows to get us there were our first times playing together as a team.
0: Mm-hmm. This was pretty good. Yeah. So Leah's involved in the improv community, and since I've known you, I mean you've you went through the whole Second City program in Chicago. True. Um, and you were involved then, and we have not had, to my knowledge, an improv comedian on the show. We've had a number of stand-ups. And I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. I'm friends with comedians in New York. And there I wanted to get a kind of what drew you to the improv community specifically. Mm -hmm. And do you feel the shade that the stand up comedians throw towards improvisers? And why do you think they're so shady towards you guys? Yeah. When I really love improv. We're going to UCB this weekend. So I think excited. it's Fun. just as funny, improv. if not more funny, than so stand-up good. a lot of times. Yeah. So I'm interested in hearing about, A, your experience being mm-hmm. an improviser, and then kind of in relation to stand-up, how you feel about it.
2: Yeah. So a two-part question warrants a two-part answer. My I remember being super young and watching Whose Line with my specifically with my dad and brother i'm sure my mom was there too but (laughs) i just remember late at night watching who's line and i would play those games myself with if i had a friend visiting and my brother we would play scenes from a hat uh and normally well normally it was just like repeating the things we saw on tv because that was Mm -hmm. funny and that was good and I was like, improv's great. I love it. And then I became involved in theater. I've always been drawn to public speaking, to being in front of people, also to being funny and making people laugh. Those <laughs> are things that make me happy. So I got into high school. I was part of the theater program. And I remember one of our units very early on was on improv. And we talked about um, Del Close and Viol- not Viola and She's just an acting practitioner. I'm thinking of I don't remember who I'm, Sharna Halpern is another, like, OG in improv, but I remember being so taken with it, um, and around the same time, my dad's work had him move out to Chicago, and this was a big source of angst when I was in high school, because I was almost moved out to Chicago my freshman year, and I was devastated, because I had all sorts of plans of being a coach of the forensic team, and being in the plays and as it turned out i was never a coach but that's neither here nor there um that was like a big that was a big thing and yeah, i remember when that happened i like took a day off of school it was so upsetting Aww, it was bad Julia. it's okay like i'm an adult i've like bounced back just fine um but i had this opportunity because my dad had this condo in the suburbs that was across the street from a metro station which the metro is the metropolitan commuter train in Chicago, and I was devastated that summer. It was my first summer not being at summer camp. I went to a Jewish summer camp for seven summers, and then I applied to go to Interlochen, and I didn't get in, and it was really sad, and I was having a lot of issues with my friends at school. It was just a lot of existential angst. And so I had this opportunity to live with my dad for a summer and take the train into the city and participate in Second City's Youth and Teen Summer Program, and I did that for two weeks. And it was so great. In the morning, we do improv. In the afternoons, we would do sketch. And by the end, we had the show. Our team name was Adrenal Fatigue. I still remember (laughs) that. Um, That's good. It was such a great experience. And I loved it so much. I loved being in Chicago. I loved doing improv. I loved all of it. And that was ultimately what drew me to move to Chicago for college. I went to DePaul, which is in Lincoln Park. It's in a super it's a great neighborhood on the north side of Chicago, just up on the red line. Um and my sophomore year of college, I enrolled in basic training classes at Second City. I went through all of that. Um I got to know <laughs> so this is going to end up in like 2018 land where everybody's actually um, a predator but there was this this guy who I I met he was the head of the education and training program at second city and I thought he was the coolest person ever so I looked him up and saw he also ran he was the artistic director at this theater and i ended up having my first internship there oh, yeah, and that, I remember that yeah so the, this is
0: I, such a walk yeah, on memory I, lane
2: yeah i <sighs> i interned at this theater because i was like this guy is so cool and he's so passionate and he came from nothing and now he's so successful and from there my next leap after that was to go to cartoon network so that was really the launch pad for my career like i would say i've i've, I've been pretty successful yeah. to this point point. <laughs> More recently, I was scrolling through social media on my phone, and I saw there was a whole boycott on this theater in the Chicago Sketch Comedy Festival and this individual, because he was sexually harassing women. And, I mean... it's not to say it surprised me because it didn't he would like regularly come up behind me and like pull my seat out from my desk and it Mm. wasn't he he would harass me it wasn't sexual harassment he would like call me intern instead of my name and I was making two dollars and fifty cents an hour at this theater because I was an intern at a not-for-profit um so anyway improv I did I Went through Second City's program. I finished. I loved it. I met some people who are great. We kind of formed our own indie team and did some other shows. I joined another theater called One Group Mind, and I was on a team there, and I did that for a while. Um, and then I started to feel kind of kind of worn out kind of jaded there was a feel of like everybody was just trying to make money off of me because improv is like the establishment in chicago and my friends mm-hmm. and i were just looking for places to play and it became an environment of well you're gonna have to pay twenty dollars a head per person mm-hmm. you know ahead to play at the back of this theater and no one's gonna watch you and also it's a two drink minimum like people were yeah. just trying to make money off of me and that felt awful so i stopped i did stand up for a minute that didn't end well. I ultimately took a break from that because the personality is involved were too much for me. Um, and then I just stopped doing it for a minute. And then I moved to Atlanta. And six months in, I was like, I need to make some friends who are not people I work with. What are things about me that are important? Um, well, I'm Jewish and I do improv. I have a background in improv. So I, I did some some shopping around i saw a bunch of shows atlanta had a bigger improv scene than i would have anticipated i landed at one theater i didn't totally love it i switched over to this other theater that i actually chose because i found out the person who taught my sketch comedy classes when i was 16 and doing the youth and teen program at second city he was doing a workshop at this theater also like it's high wire theater in atlanta i'm very involved there i'm on a house team there now but I started taking classes and I have some really great friends through there who I'm like in touch with all the time and so that's that's like my my life story in improv I now to love speak it. to the the animosity with stand-ups um, I I feel like
0: it's more I mean you spoke about yeah. your stand-up not being the best experience, we'll say, but I feel like most of the animosity is from stand-ups to improvisers. Do you feel that that's that way? I mean, I'm not trying to, like, s- start beef on yeah, the air, but, yeah, like, yeah. I just want to get your perspective, because we've had so many stand-ups on, and yeah. I know a lot of the stand-ups that we have had on have spoken publicly about them either not respecting or not,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, being, the communities are very separate in New York, so I just wanted to get your experience on that.
2: Yeah. Um, so I can't... I can't speak to new york i can't really speak to atlanta because i haven't done stand-up there i can speak to chicago because i've done improv and stand-up in both of those communities um i also i feel like it has to do with the nature of the form i Mm -hmm. i'm sure there are improvisers who are like stand-up is weak like we would never do stand-up um But improv is a very collaborative and group-minded endeavor where the whole, you can only be good, you can only be successful as an improviser if you are a supporting, a supportive person who listens, who can empathize, who can respond. You have to be very observant. You have to be smart. Um, And stand-up is, like, you're in stand-up for yourself, and that's your thing, And I'm not going to try to, like, prescribe a diagnosis onto stand-up comedians as to why they feel the way they feel. But I can definitely say in the improv community, there's not, in my experience, a ton of animosity towards stand-up comedians. Um, I know a lot of improvisers who have kind of crossed over and started to get involved in stand-up. And I know that I've chatted with some people and talked about doing stand-up with them because um, it is it is scary to do it yourself. It's scary to be up there. And, I mean, the reason I stopped doing it in Chicago is because I had a negative experience as a female where I became romantically involved with a comedian. Um, it didn't end poorly, but it got around. And so I held, I, ha- I basically became sort of like not blacklisted but um, you had a reputation I had a reputation right so I remember there was a party and I was at this party and I had people like slide into my dms and I had people approach me who were basically like people made assumptions about you people made assumptions about me yeah they were like I know basically they knew I put out for one person so why wouldn't I put out for them um and I stopped Yeah, I I removed myself from that community because it had so much negative energy. Like, I didn't quit doing stand-up because they scared me off. I quit doing it because I decided my time was more valuable and my creative uh, outputs, you know, like my creative endeavors, had better outlets. So I wrote more and I found other ways to express myself, but I don't think that art is inherently torture and i wasn't gonna try to change my mind about that i wasn't gonna yeah. try to torture myself to do something there's
0: definitely a lot more joy in improv i think i mean stand-up is improv a joyful is thing so
2: much fun like because you have a group of people and they like i will say there is comfort in numbers i have my team there are seven of us on my team we're called slice of life it's great i love them i also want to say it's so it's 8.40 right now. I'm on a house team at, at this theater, and tonight is our first mm-hmm. show. Um, oh, and you're missing And my first show would be right now. <laughs> we, oh, no. The team does not have a name yet, so I can't shout them mm-hmm. out. But at pals, kill it. <laughs> you guys are great. I'm sure they killed it. Yay. Because by the time this airs... They will be done. They will I'll, have killed like, it. have already played with them Yeah, once. So That's
0: great. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective and i i think there's just i don't know i always go to improv shows and i'm like this just seems like a bunch of pals having fun and that's what it seems like it is with you with your friends oh totally whereas stand-up it's definitely more individual the best improv
2: comes from people who know each other super well yeah. and that's when you can like my favorite thing to do in improv is to pick on my scene mates and not in a mean way but like I don't know, I'm trying to, like, there. so there are two guys on my team, Slice of Life, who are really good friends, they go way back, and they kind of go to each other, and our first show together as a team, all of us, is Slice of Life, um, they pimped each other into kissing each other, and that was a really fun thing, because we all love and trust each other, and we have that relationship and that level of trust, um, so... Yes. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: No, I just have some, like, practical questions about Mm -hmm. how improv works. Like, you say you're on a house team. Does that mean you get paid to do improv then? (laughs) That's the question my mom asked me. (laughs) Uh, Oh, sorry. Apparently I'm very mom-like. No,
2: you're not mom-like. It's just, like, you know, like, do you get paid for this? Uh, No, I don't get paid to be on this house team. But it is, so I will say, for me... Improv is not something that I eventually want to make money off of. Ultimately, it's Mm -hmm. a hobby for me. Um, So I have a... Now, for the next six months, I have a show every Thursday at a prime time slot. Mm -hmm. And I have a coach. And we do pay the coach. Um, But ultimately, it's like, for me, it's not about the money. It's about the experience. And it's about doing Mm -hmm. it. And it's like, I have a hobby now. Like, I... And filling up my schedule. But people
0: like come and pay to go to your shows. Like yeah. the audience is there, so it's like a professional
2: right gig. Right. Even people if you're are not paying to paid. see the shows. But there's also the part of it too. And I had to explain this to my mom. And she was like, "Well, that's not right. If they're making money off of you, but the thing is, if if we as a team, because my other team, Slice of Life, we have a name. We're an indie team. We're not associated with any house uh, company. If we want to produce a show on our own, we have to rent a space. That's an expense." We have to probably pay somebody to do our tech stuff. That's an expense. We have to have somebody running the house, getting people in to buy tickets. That's an expense. We have to hope that people buy enough tickets that will like at least break even. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for all of this, I'm saving all of that hassle of having to find a theater, yeah. get a slot. Like it's all. Taken six care months of. is a long time. That's a lot of shows. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: That's very cool. And there
2: are eight of us on the team. We pay $50 per week to our coach. It ultimately turns into a total investment from me of, like, $25 a month, which, like, it's cheaper than taking a class. Yeah, You know? It's fine. It makes me smile. I like it.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Well, that's all that matters. Yeah. I'm just curious because it's not a world that I – know very much about how it Mm -hmm. works and what the goals are and what the logistics are so that was very um enlightening yes um so uh should we also wanted to talk to you you said you're really involved do you have more comedy questions no that was that was it unless there's more comedy yeah So um, you're very involved in your Jewish community in Atlanta, and I kind of wanted to hear about that. And Maddie had kind of mentioned to me that this is kind of a new uh, exploration for you or more in-depth exploration than perhaps previously. So I'd like to hear about that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: I remember last, not, so it was in 2016, like Christmas 2016, I was at my aunt's house in the suburbs. And I was like, I'm going to start being Jewish. That's like a salient mm. part of my identity. Um, and I started by going to this one temple really close to where I live has a young Jewish professionals evening, the first Friday of every month. And so I went to that and I like found a couple people to chat with and that was cool. And the service was fine. And I did a little more digging. Um, and I came apro- across this whole community that exists in atlanta for young jewish professionals which as a young jewish professional Mm. i feel very connected to (laughs) um but there's like there's one uh group i guess this one program it's called leads it exists outside of atlanta as well but it's learning engagement something in discovery series um and it's You know, a group of people, you sign up, there's maybe a dozen of you, you meet once a week for eight weeks, you have dinner and you discuss Jewish topics. And that is a great way to meet friends because Mm -hmm. the thing is, you can go to a million one off events and you'll find people to talk to who at the end you might be like, hey, let's keep in touch, but you never talk to them. The key to making friends in a place where you don't know anyone is repeated exposure. So, like, sign up Mm -hmm. for a class or this, like recurring have dinner with the same group every right like join yeah. this recurring dinner group and like maybe you'll have shabbat together a couple times and so i did that and it was really through that experience that i connected with people who were a from atlanta originally born and raised and were more connected to the community and two had been around longer than i had and were more connected to other groups and through that i became involved with this other temples youth group and through there i heard about i heard about this volunteers initiative group and it's really through there that i got to know some of the people who i identify as some of my closest friends in atlanta oh wonderful oh yeah they're phenomenal people and you know it's not to say that i sit around reading torah all the time because this so this is like a big i'm conscious of this when i'm talking to people outside of that community especially like when i'm dating because i know as a person if i like on somebody's tinder profile for example see that they love jesus i'm like we don't have anything in common that's not going to work Um, not to say that I wouldn't date a Christian man, but I also, I had an experience. It's just like the
0: zealousness or like, how involved are you?
2: Right, right. So I don't want people to get this idea that I'm like this crazy Torah thumping Jew who's like, let's keep kosher and celebrate Shabbat every Friday because that's not how Mm -hmm. I am. It's, it's a social thing. Like Judaism is a social thing for me. I love my Jewish identity. I'm super in touch with it. As I'm getting more involved, like I spoke with the leader of this Leeds program recently and told her I'm moving to a bigger apartment and I would like to start hosting a Leeds group. Oh, cool. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully cool. like come the fall, I will start hosting a dozen people in my home and having dinner and talking about Jewish topics, but also like, where are you from? What's your life experience? Like, how does Judaism manifest itself in your life? Um, and I it has made me closer to my Jewish identity I I, um, had an experience I was in a relationship not too long ago with somebody who growing up was very Catholic um, and then told me through college he became more liberal kind of more just like less religious yeah less religious he's more agnostic and so Hanukkah has always been my favorite Jewish holiday and I had him over for a Hanukkah dinner, and I was lighting the candles, because it's my favorite part of mm-hmm. Hanukkah. It's not the presents. The Love presents...
1: Hanukkah.
2: Hanukkah's beautiful. Uh, the mm-hmm. presents are totally an American thing, because we felt left out. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was lighting my menorah, and he was uncomfortable, and I noticed it. And Weird. Like, in t- what
0: way? Like, with the religious aspect, or just, like... Yeah,
2: he, like... Was just kind of hanging off to the side, you know? He wasn't really.
0: He wasn't engaging with it. He was
2: not engaging with it. And. Uh, I've been to the
0: Sherman household for Hanukkah and it is lit. It's totally lit. And it's so fun. It's so mm-hmm. lit.
2: Ruth and Howard and Aaron put on a great party. Yes. That's uh, my mother, father, and brother. But I remember this ex boyfriend was kind of cower. I don't want to say he was cowering. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like he was, you know, he just, he wasn't comfortable with it. And so I made a comment and I was like, I want you to know I'm not trying to convert you. This is just an important tradition for me. And it makes me very happy. And he was like, I'm so glad you said that. That makes me feel so much better. Um, thank you for telling me that. (laughs) And I kind of felt like, why well, do I have to make an excuse for my yeah. Jewish? Like you knew this yeah. was a Hanukkah dinner. Well, like I told him yeah. tonight. Like like we never did dinner at my apartment, right? And this night I was yeah. like, no, like you're gonna like come if it was a, a random
0: home. night and you just like pulled out the Torah and started reading it, I would understand right, why would he would be weirded about right. it. But it's like it's a fucking right. I was like, holiday. no, no, no.
2: This is like I was like, I want you to. Come, I'm gonna make latkes and I want yeah. you to come over and do Hanukkah. And we planned it too. I was like, I'm gonna give you your Hanukkah present. That was a funny thing. Yeah. Like he got me a Christmas present and I got him a Hanukkah present. Um it's all in the well, past because we're broken up yeah. now, but <laughs> yeah. But, what, but what that I was think, like a big
1: thing. What I think is so interesting about what you're talking about here is this is I mean, and I don't really know that much about Judaism and modern Judaism, but from what I do know and is I love that there's kind of this place for everybody no matter where you are in your faith to find a place that you're comfortable with in Judaism, whether you are really into it for the heritage and the identity, or you are like full on Orthodox, like there's a place for you and there are people that are going to accept you. And I feel like as someone who was raised, um, Catholic and really, I mean, I really do enjoy a lot of the ritual and a lot of the, um, those types of aspects of it. There's not a place for me really anywhere in Christianity. And I mean, I love, you know, you know, because when you go to those type of events, even at the most liberal church, it's usually you have to drink the Kool Aid. You have yeah. to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Savior, if you're going to like a Protestant church, or if you're going to a Catholic church, you have to be like, yeah, that's totally Jesus's flesh. Yeah. And neither of those things are me. Um. So, I don't know. So I just think that's really interesting and really and really beautiful that oh yeah the Jesus Jewish, allows that.
2: yeah the Jewish community in Atlanta. Is so robust. I twice now have participated in a young adult bowling league through the JCC. Oh my god, I love that! Right, and it's like we're just a group of people who goes bowling every week. But like the JCC puts it up puts, puts it on. So like we happen to be Jewish. Yeah. But like if y'all were down in Atlanta, you could totally sign up. Oh, in Michigan, mm-hmm. I
0: learned how to swim at the JCC in yeah. West Bloomfield, and yeah. I'm not Jewish. Like it was totally. just like a community center. Jewish, Everyone goes.
2: Yeah, the Jewish community is like. Maybe we'll talk about religion. Maybe if there's a holiday, like, come join us Mm -hmm. and eat a meal with us. But otherwise, Mm -hmm. like, we're all just trying to hang out and um, talk about our life experiences. And that's something I, like, I'm super grateful to be a part of the Jewish community for that reason. Because I I have, you know, become friends with people who were, you know, they were new in town. And Mm -hmm. they were like, I need to find some friends. I don't know what to do. And... They didn't want to get involved in the church, which I get. And so it's like, well, find a hobby, maybe like, you know, like, yeah, well, and also that I'm like, come along to Jewish events with me. But, you know, I've had I mean, I've had ex-boyfriends who were like, oh, I'm new in town. Like, I want to have my own circle of friends. You have your own circle of friends. Like, I want to have that, but I don't want to go to the church.
0: Well, it's nice that you have Mm -hmm. that option. I feel I feel, I feel lucky. I think the episode that I recorded with Sarah where we talked a lot about Judaism and Israel, specifically which you've been to Israel.
2: I have some hot takes. I went on birthright and I have some hot we takes. We can talk about, about that. Because Sarah was very pro-birthright,
0: and I know you have other feelings, so we can talk about that. Um, but she one of the things that I thought was really interesting about what she said was that in the Israeli army, which is such a big part of, you know, Israel obviously as is the Jewish homeland not every everyone serves but if you're super orthodox and your religion like prevents you from serving it's not seen as like a weird thing like there's a lot of ultra orthodox communities that don't serve in the army and they're still considered like full israelis and the people that do have to serve or want to serve like don't look down upon those people so even i feel like to shay's point like there's a place for everyone like the diversity within judaism is especially displayed in Israel and the Israeli culture, which I thought was super interesting. So give us your hot takes on birthright.
2: So I don't want to, I don't want to speak poorly about birthright as a program overall, because I do think it is phenomenal. And I'm so grateful that I was afforded the opportunity to go to Israel essentially for free. Um, My issue is with people who I was on a trip with. Um, I, Applied through my trip through my university. I was involved with a Jewish United Fund there. Um, and they... So I, this is a misconception I had about birthright growing up, is it's, like, this n- program and you just apply and you're put with random people, but actually they're, like, kind no, of birthright yeah, affiliates. Go, yeah,
0: you go with... That's what Sarah was talking about. Yeah. Like, she went through, like, an NYU program, so she, yeah. she went with Alana, who's another guest of the mm. show. Mm-hmm. Um who was, like, another NYU student. Yeah. So, like, a lot of times you go with, like, people from your university.
2: Right. So my trip had maybe a handful of people from DePaul, if that. There were a couple of people I knew, but I wasn't close with. And everybody else on the trip, for the most part, went to SIU. It's, like, Southern Illinois University. And they all had known each other forever and ever. And they were super fratty. And they all just, like, did their own thing. They, like, sat in the back of the bus. They were super obnoxious about it. Um, and there were a couple of like rogue people here and there. I don't want to speak poorly about my yeah. group as a whole, because there were some other people who I came to be pals with. Um, but I remember one morning, we were waking up and getting ready for like a long day of activities in Israel mm-hmm. for free. And this girl was like, <laughs> I took vacation time from work. I really don't want to be doing all of this. This is a vacation <gasps> No. And I didn't say, any, because I'm a very non-confrontational person, I was like, oh yeah, that sucks. But in my head, <laughs> and to all of the people I've spoken to after that event, yeah. I was like, this is a free trip. Like, yeah. somebody else is paying like, get with for the you program. to do this. Yeah. yeah, like, say thank you. Do, mm-hmm. the, do the things and see the culture and, like, experience something new. And also say thank you. Um, that was super disheartening. People were disrespectful. I mean, they were, like, really big partiers, so... The night before we went to the Holocaust Museum, we were specifically told, do not go out tonight, because if you show up at the Holocaust Museum hungover, that is so disrespectful, and people did Mm it. And, like, the big cherry on top of this, like, very frustrating cake is (laughs) I went over the summer. It was the summer of 2013, and... A big part of Birthright is one morning you wake up at 4 a.m. and you hike up Masada. It's a mountain. And you watch the sunrise over Masada. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And it hurt. And it was painful. And then we got to the top of the mountain and we're watching the sunrise. And because of the timing and the time change and how everything worked as the sun was rising over this group of Birthright attendees who are all from the Chicagoland area, the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. Uh. <laughs> and people had their phones and they knew. And so that oh, beautiful no. once-in-a-lifetime moment <laughs> is forever in my memory. Like, yeah, the Blackhawks won the Stanley uh, Cup. But the Red and Wings are
0: such a better team.
2: Well, see, and I was going to say, it, it doesn't even have anything to do with that. It's not yeah. even like, oh, I'm just a salty Red Wings fan. Because ultimately, like, I don't care about the yeah. NHL. Like, even if it were the Red Wings no. winning. It's more about the Sunrise I, Yeah, and being it's there. like, guys be present like turn your phone off like I don't know my phone for the entire trip I had it but I like didn't have any service dude I was so salty um yeah I would but the food was good
1: ridiculous
2: yeah it was it was just frustrating and I mean I I'm not gonna blame everybody else because I will say at that time I was also going through some existential angst and like didn't really feel like I belonged I had some like personal like mental health issues that i was dealing with and i just like didn't feel like i belonged it didn't feel like i fit in didn't feel like anybody wanted to make an effort to include me um which i mean it's like it's fine now and i am so far removed from it that like i've grown and i'm an adult now um but i did not have a particularly positive birthright experience and i've spoken candidly about that with other people who are organizers for birthright trips and other people who um are leaders and who go have recently gone on birthright trips and who organize other trips to israel and like in fair i am working on going on another trip to israel through another organization um through a more carefully selected cohort of people um and I'm really hoping that works out, because I would really and truly love to experience Israel and experience the culture, um, especially because I have a lot of questions about my—especially, you know, as a, as a pretty liberal American Jew, like, I don't really know what my relationship with Israel is. I don't know what I want it to be. I yeah. I have family who lives there. I had a cousin who went on birthright and ultimately made Aliyah, and now he's married, and he has three beautiful daughters, and he's so happy um but you know as like the critical media consumer that I am I pay attention to the news and I like to do the research and I like to see what's happening on both sides and I remember there was the whole BDS when I was at DePaul I think it was my senior year there was a huge BDS movement and I understood both sides What is the BDS movement? For people so that don't, don't know. I don't remember what BDS stands for. That's okay. But it's it was ultimately like divest from israel divest Mm. from organizations that support israel uh because of all of the human rights violations happening by the like the idf was violating a bunch of human rights and i get that um yeah i get the idea of having a homeland i understand both sides and that's why like the super easy dismissive thing to say is two-state solution, and then everything's yeah. better. But I mean, like, it's, it's a
0: compli- it's a complicated issue. Even yeah. when we were talking yeah. to Sarah, she was, like, the biggest thing for her, and she's very pro-Israel, is, like, how do you... You can't... It's, it's very difficult to be, like, p- blindly, like, just pro-Israel, ignore everything, mm-hmm. and also be, like, a very liberal American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people from different countries who are also pro-Israel, like, might have an easier time with that, or Israelis specifically, but to ignore like you basically can't ignore it like i think people that kind of put the blinders on to both sides are really what is the problem
2: followers i'm having a millennial moment i googled <laughs> uh-huh. bds it mm-hmm. stands for boycott divestment and sanctions so okay. yeah it, it's, oh. it's it's uh divesting from
0: when you say bds i feel like you're saying bdsm, BDSM. yeah no, i could also
2: talk about different. that but that would be a different episode it's like <laughs> totally doesn't fit into this
1: discussion well, um, I hate to rush us, uh, but I may get kicked out of this room at any moment. So I love when Shay gets kicked out the of the rooms. <laughs> archery range?
0: What? Yes. I said I love when Shay gets kicked out of the podcasting room.
1: Uh, it's very um, stressful for no.
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let's move into the archery range. So, okay. So for our listeners, we are going to ask Leah a random series of questions, and she's going to answer off the top of her head without thinking too hard about the Don't answers. Don't
2: think twice. That's a movie about improv yes oh yes and so shay start us off Uh,
1: favorite book
2: oh boy uh well i was most recently talking about columbine by dave cullen uh he was the journalist who was like there as students were being evacuated from columbine high school on april 20th 1999 and he followed the story and he on the 10th anniversary of columbine published this book called Columbine, where he debunks all of the myths perpetuated by the media. Um, And that's really great. Actually, I did prepare an answer, though. Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. That is my favorite book, and I recommend it to everybody. Uh, That was how I ultimately decided to pursue my degree in media studies. It's a great book. It's a great book. Uh, Favorite TV show? Oof. Uh, Hmm.
0: Or just a favorite. It doesn't have to be a favorite.
2: A favorite? so i'm very 2000 and late and i'm watching the office right now for the first time i just watched the episode where dunder mifflin is about to go bankrupt and then uh oscar they're doing the uh savannah murder mystery and oscar's like great bikes (laughs) i don't want to say the office is my favorite show though so i'll say uh hmm I'll say The Office. Why not? That's a good one. It's a classic. Top of mind. SNL. That's a great show. John Mulaney's Mm. hosting this weekend. V-Pumped. Ooh. V-Pumped. Favorite childhood snack? Goldfish. So Mm, good. mm -hmm.
1: Delicious.
0: Great. Uh, Favorite movie?
2: Oh, no. I'm going to sound crazy. So (laughs) there's this film called Elephant, Gus Van Sant directed oh, yeah. it. I watched You've it talked about film that, class. and I've never seen it. So, Elephant um, went it's to also con. about a school shooting. <laughs> yeah, well, so and it's a funny story. I love this film. It doesn't fall. I watched it in. So I was half a film student in college, and I watched this film, Elephant, in the. Um, what's the word? When something is super like weird and off the wall, it's fashion. Avant-garde. 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 Yes. Thank you. We it's can fashion. edit all of that out.
1: So,
0: It's hoe, but make it fashion. I'm
2: going to <laughs> take a breath so we can edit this. My favorite <laughs> film uh, is Elephant. I watched it in the avant-garde unit of this storytelling and style and cinema class that I took in Ooh. college. Um, it doesn't follow a linear narrative. Rather, you like watch one student go about their day. And then he might stop and talk to somebody else and then he keeps going. And then later on we'll see this other student and we'll see him go about his day. And then we'll see that exact same conversation a second time. Mm. And then they'll keep going about their day. And it's about a school shooting. It was the first film about a school shooting to come out after Columbine. Um, mm. I own the DVD. I've watched it several times. Each time I notice something new and different. Um, it's beautifully filmed it is devastating it is heartbreaking um and it was after the most recent time i watched it it was with it was with an ex-boyfriend because i was like if we're gonna date i need you to know this is a film that's really important to me um i was doing some research on columbine and that was how i came across this book columbine Mm. by dave cullen um because i was researching like the rhetoric surrounding it because now i'm educated enough to know how to dissect it um but yes columbine Gus Van Sant directed it or I'm sorry Elephant it's a great film I okay. love
1: that uh, favorite place you visited I really the like Times <laughs> the Times Square Applebee's the Times Square Applebee's
2: I really like visiting New York aww oh, you know course. like she doesn't visiting... want to
0: say she wants to live here she doesn't want to get my hopes up there's like too much mm. existential
2: angst surrounding that like, I, like Chicago's my favorite place I've lived but like yeah. New York is my favorite place to visit Yeah,
0: New York is fun to visit. Well, that's great. Well, that's all the questions I had,
2: Shay. I think I'm also... Well, did you have one more thing? Oh, no. I was going to say, like, Israel was a really great place to visit, but I feel like I've, like, beaten that. about the Israel. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, all right well I think that's everything yes. uh, well, thank you Leah so I want to ask Leah if and...
0: she wants do you want to be found on social media if so where can yes. people find
2: you yeah totally I'm not as active as I used to be in my heyday but um, all of my social media accounts are under the same name and that is Leah F. Sherman that is Leah Fisherman but without the I mm. there's an H in my name which is also very important to me
1: L-E-A-H. What is your actual middle name?
2: It's Francis. I was named after Aww. my mother's maternal grandmother, my mom's bubby. Oh, um, that's Her sweet. name was Francis, and apparently she made some ballin' cookies. I like it. Yeah.
0: Great. I well, recipe now. everyone go follow Leah, and thank you for being here.
2: Yay. Come to all Atlanta. Right. See all of my house teams do improv. It's Yay. great. We will. It's lit.
0: All right. Woo. Bye, Bye camper.
2: Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood
0: is hosted by Maddie Yerge, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us, hello, at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Please also find on our website, there are links to our Patreon page, where you can be a subscriber, and there are many cool prizes. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.